everyone. What a beautiful morning it is to be here having this breakfast on International Women's Day. So I'm Dawn Freshwater, I'm the Vice-Chancellor of this outstanding university. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be here this morning to welcome you. Before we get started, I'd like to just acknowledge that we meet on the lands of traditional owners, that's the Wajok people of the proud Noongar Nation, and to acknowledge their ancestors past, present and future. And may I take the opportunity this morning to acknowledge the resilience of those Noongar women, very important part of that culture. I'd like to also acknowledge the many special guests that we have in the room. And, uh, and I can see many friendly faces and good, great supporters of the university. So uh, welcome again to the University Club and also to acknowledge my fellow presenters this morning. And we'll soon get started with breakfast and we'll hear from these wonderful women. I wanted to say a few words this morning uh, about one or two things that I think are helpful to reflect on on days like this. And um, we've just had an interesting start to the dialogue this morning with one of my colleagues about whether or not having an International Women's Day is something that actually is helpful or not and something that we need to reflect on in terms of, you know, what, what does it say? Does it say that we are still really working hard and still having to recognise the difference, the differentials in society? Or is it actually just a celebration of all the great things and the contributions that we make? And I think there is something to be asked around that particular question, but I'm not going to focus on that this morning. I do want to say one or two words about culture. And in particular, of course, as an academic institution, I'll say something about STEM and STEAM, of course. Uh, but then I may just want to touch on technology because, of course, that's one of the things that is really challenging us at the moment to think about the future of work and the future for our students and our graduates. And as uh, a wonderful presenter said last week at the Universities of Australia, we all know that technology is also gendered, both in its research and its production. So let me start by acknowledging that this is a really important topic for me, uh, particularly not just because I'm the second only female vice-chancellor at this university in its over 100-year history, uh, but also because I have spent many years myself researching women in science, women in leadership, and as a member of the NHMRC, so that's Medical Research Council here as a women of that Women in Science Committee, I continue to be committed to looking at how we might achieve gender parity in supporting our female academics to achieve outstanding careers in research, as well as in, of course, excellence in education and many other fields. So I think what I'm saying is I feel it's important to see for our students and our stakeholders to see normal, whatever that is, and in fact I feel like it needs to be the new normal, which is the constant change that we're facing, and to have the opportunity to study, lead and work in an environment within which the culture facilitates that sort of environment. And so there are many things that we're engaged in. You may or may not be aware that the Science and Gender Equity group that is running the Athena Swan Project nationally 
has been working with 32 institutions across the sector, including medical research institutions and universities, in actually driving a, a platform for change, which is related to an Athena Swan project and kite marks of uh, bronze, silver and gold being awarded for outstanding practices, and we're part of that. And I'll say something about our recent achievements in that regard in a moment. Universities Australia is also doing great work. I don't know how many of you would be familiar with the fact that in, if you think about all of the universities globally, only 9% of vice chancellors globally are women. And when you look at that 9%, many of them are not uh, vice chancellors or leading institutions that are research intensive universities. So there's another breakdown there. Where we do exceptionally well in Australia is that we actually have 25% of our vice chancellors in this nation who are women. And in this state, of course, we have four out of five. Uh, so we're leading the way. We're a beacon here, yes. I think it does deserve a round of applause. But that's really part of the macro picture. And let me just say something about the importance for me of the microclimate. So we can talk about the macroclimate. And we can see that there's a lot of work taking place within academia, within the institutions, and across many other sectors to address some of the challenges that we know we, know we face. But in the microclimate, so within our institutions, within your institutions, within your environment, where, where we have, uh, so it could be schools, it could be banks, it could be, I'm looking at the people around there, we've got such a diversity of people here, it could be any of our institutions. The microclimate is actually where the work really needs to take place, in my view. And the work that I did for the British Council across 85 institutions in the Commonwealth four years ago, and that was focused on inclusive leadership, really indicated the struggle that we have internally in our institutions, and I'm not just talking about academic institutions here, all institutions, to implement and execute what are really great strategies on paper, even if you have them led from the top. Because of course, within the microclimate, we're all very aware that there are hidden hierarchies. See some people nodding. They're very subtle and they can pass us by very easily. There's an incongruence often with values, so we have an espoused set of values that we sign up to when we come to work in an institution, and quite often those values are, at points in the institution, dealt with with incongruence, and we can experience that too, and it's important for us to call that out. There are, of course, many opaque power dynamics that we face within our institutions that are also part of the microclimate. And I'm sure if you spent some time at your tables talking about that this morning, you would have some examples. And of course, there are legacy issues in every institution as, as well as how, how the organizational context actually drives any agenda around um, inclusive leadership across the board and not just for women. So my mantra is you have to put your culture to work because it's the culture within the institution uh, as well as what happens in response to the external climate and the external culture. It's the culture within the institution that actually takes forward and executes and implements the strategy. 
And whenever you hear people say, it's the culture, or they, I don't know who the magical they are, because we are the culture. Each and every one of us is the culture, we are it. And it's not a they, it's a we. So we have responsibility constantly through consciousness, through being purposeful, through being deliberative about our everyday practice using reflection to make sure that we are aware of how the microclimate and the culture is actually influencing, impacting, and subtly maintaining status quo. So I challenge us this morning to think about that because we are it. Wherever we are, we are the culture. And we need to take account of that. In doing so in this institution, we're doing quite a lot of work on our inclusion and diversity strategy and many of the people who've been uh, influencing that strategy are in the room this morning, particularly around the Athena Swan Charter. And as I've said, we're one of 32 universities that are engaged in this particular project. And we've been doing quite a lot of work in our senior leadership team. As you will see, if you look at our senior leadership team, we have many of our um, women leaders here this morning and we're continuing to take account of how we ensure that we have some parity across our leadership team at all levels. You uh, may of course know that well, in our university and in many universities the issue for us is actually getting our female academics up from level D which is the level below professoria up to the professorial level. And two years ago I started a piece of work here which indicated that we had a long way to go. We were at the point where we had about 80% of our professoriate female, 80%. So the 80-20 rule was alive and well. We've been doing a lot of work on that since, and we've managed actually to start pushing that up to 30 and now up to closer to 40. It's, a, it's hard work. You know, when we have to go back and say, this shortlist is not acceptable, we have to do much more work than this. We have to start really pushing the boundaries of what's, what people are thinking about in terms of promotion, because that's, of course, one of the hurdles, is where people are not necessarily meeting what might be seen as the traditional metrics or the traditional role model. We still have a lot of work to do, but, of course, we're seeing improvements gradually in many areas, and we're also seeing improvements in terms of our student recruitment. And in fact, in some of our disciplines, we're up to 52% female students. But that's not going to solve the problem, of course, because it's not coming in at the higher numbers that is the issue. It's actually going through the pipeline. And that's where we're having to do a lot more work. There's been a 28% increase in the women uh, and female students coming through our pipeline in medical and health sciences in the last six years, and that's been through a concerted effort. So I think we can celebrate some of those achievements. But one of the uh, key issues for us going into the future is this year I'm launching the 2030 vision for the university. And this is a piece of work that will really role model inclusive leadership. The whole of the university and its stakeholders oversees and in Australia will be involved in contributing to the development of the Vision 2030 for UWA. And that will lead, of course, to the strategic plan that will take us to 2025. Why is this important? Well, it's important because the driving factor in that strategy is people 
our people and culture. We are actually working on the basis that we want our culture to be what differentiates us in the future and that that's what makes it attractive to work here, that's what makes it attractive to study here, and that's what makes it attractive to come and spend time here if you want to actually come and do some work with another academic. And we want it to be a campus within which people feel that they feel included no matter who they are, where they come from, and that that people and culture strategy will act as an umbrella for the excellence in research, education, and of course, community engagement that we strive for. And that's quite a turn. It's a bit of a pivot towards human, human relations and being people-focused in our strategy. And personally, my view is with the way that we're heading in society with automation, technology, and we're, how we're being disrupted through that process, keeping us human is probably the biggest job that we have for our students now for the future. And I say that unashamedly. We have many existential crises to face at the moment. Keeping us human is one of them, and it's one that the university will be taking very seriously. I do want to say that we're not all about STEM and STEAM. This university has the most fantastic collection of women's art, the Carruthers Collection. Now, some of you will know about that, and some of you may not have had an opportunity to get to know and get acquainted with that collection. It's actually a marvelous collection. And it's interesting for many reasons, because it documents the histories of women and women who've, of course, faced adversity in the nation, Australian women in particular, but it also really celebrates resilience and problem solving. And so I think I want to just flag up that we do actually have, deep within our bowels actually, um, some very strong messages that we give out and can continue to give out about our commitment, not just to what we want to do in terms of supporting the future of our um, future, uh, young generations in science and engineering, technology, medicine, but also in terms of making sure that we do keep that humanity alive. So please make sure you, you enjoy that collection. Uh, Ingrid Pusey is sitting here in the front row. This is also something I wanted to flag up. Ingrid has been doing great work with our Centenary Women's Campaign, and we have, of course, our graduates walk outside, and we continue to support that agenda. And so there are many things that we're doing that are not just simply about focusing on uh, our core mission as an academic institution. This is a very much a rounded and a holistic approach to the way we think about our position in society and what we bring to what will become, I think, one of the most radical social transformations that we will ever know. So I'll leave it there and just say it's fantastic to be able to be here with you this morning. I'm delighted that this breakfast is sold out. And, um, and as the years go on, we are seeing many changes taking place within our own institution and in institutions that support us. We look forward to continued uh, progress, of course, and we would want to welcome your support with that. But before I go this morning, I'm just going to give a nod to our talented panel speakers this morning. So I want to welcome Alison, Alison Bartlett, whose work is focused on gender and sexuality in popular culture. I'm sure we're going to have some interesting dialogue around that. 
And Nikki, Nikki's expertise lies in leadership and management, tackling and coaching, uh, uh, and has a, a passion actually for working with the status of women and promoting multiculturalism. So there's another angle there. And engineering graduate, so Chris, I saw you sitting over there. Chris is an experienced executive who, uh, <laughs> yeah, there are chairs, CEO for gender, gender equity, and um, Chris has been doing some great work championing uh, the, that, that cause, but also has been supporting some of the work that we've been doing here. And Lindsay, who's, and Lindsay's work actually, who, which is for the WA and Victorian state government, uh, is working on significant inquiries concerning indigenous child abuse and family violence. So we have a really outstanding panel who I'm sure are going to open up some different ways of thinking, diversity of thinking, as well as diversity in the room, diversity of thinking this morning about International Women's Day. Let me also acknowledge Farida Fazar, who actually has, is going to moderate this panel, but has put a huge amount of work into this. And has done a lot of work around race, ethnicity, nationality, and religious identities in this context, and particularly with refugee and migrant uh, concerns. So thank you, Farida, for your support with this. Um, I would also like to just acknowledge Lucy, who's our recent commerce graduate, and she will be delivering our closing remarks this morning. So let me uh, just say welcome again, enjoy the breakfast, and I look forward to hearing what our panelists have to say. Thank you. <laughs>